This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. everybody to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is, is the show where we talk about all the films of the Walt Disney Company, from those you know to those you don't. And I'm going to almost guarantee that a lot of you don't know today's subject, and I'm so eager to talk about it. But first, introductions. I am Ryan Kilpatrick, and along with these folks, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can go to find blogs about shorts and films and subjects of the Walt Disney Company, as well as the latest and greatest about this podcast, including show notes. So make sure you are go and check that out over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, of course, we have Mr. Todd Perlmutter who is Chief Technical Officer at DisneyDrivenLife.com. He works at OnTheGo and MCO.com, and King of Anachronisms. I'm going to say. Indeed. I forsooth <laughs> I was hoping for a Scottish accent, really, in the... Oh, in the yeah, no, in, I don't... I, like, I didn't do Canada for Brother Bear. No Scottish here. What's that about, E? <laughs> yeah, see, no. Yeah, no, we, can't, we don't do accents. <laughs> I could try, but then we would have, like, a national calamity with Scotland, and that would be bad. Yes, I do not want to start a war. No, no. Oh, we will talk about war, but we are not going to start one. Uh, joining us in our campaign for not starting war is Miss Brianna Alessio, who you can find over at Adventures of Brie at adventuresofbrie.blogspot.com. All right, Brie. I am peachy, and I also will not be attempting a Scottish accent. I think that's a good. I think that's a good call upon all of us not to attempt the Scottish accent. I would rather just not offend anyone. So yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. Yeah, I mean, you can do a, a terrific impersonation of a, of a Scottish individual. However, Todd and I cannot. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. So I'm just I'm just going to let people think that that's true. Okay. All right. Yeah. And of course, we are also joined by our fine producer, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find also from time to time at OnTheGoAndMCO.com, or you can find her at About.me slash CherylP3, or you can find her on Twitter at CherylP3, where she talks about um, the horror that we make her go through to put this podcast together. How are you, Miss Cheryl? Not good. She, you're fighting the headache, and have been for like two weeks, it feels like. At this point, I would have been yes. Yeah, so At the point that this podcast will probably come out, I will be. I'll, the headache should be cured, and we, I'll be twitting about other things. So we'll hope that goes along. That's right. Let's hope. So, as previously mentioned, we talk here about all the films of the Walt Disney Company, and that includes some that that many of you have probably never seen. Uh, but that's our job here, right? We we look at everything, guys. So tonight we are talking about Rob Roy, the Highland Rogue. And that's as much of a Scottish accent you're going to get out of me. Mm-hmm. It's a 1953 film, uh, live action film by Disney. Their fourth live action film released. 
made by Disney because of something we've talked about before, which is after World War II, they had a whole bunch of money from their films uh, tied up, the profits from the films and the revenue tied up in Europe and weren't allowed to move it out of Europe because of the events of World War II. Um, if you'll remember, Europe was a bit of a mess, so they didn't take money out of Europe. Uh, there was no, you could not do that. So Disney basically had a problem. They had all this money parked in Europe and no way to get it out. Uh, so the only thing they could figure out to do with it, since being a movie company, was to go and make some movies. So they ended up making four films out in England, uh, shooting them in the UK, and they made uh, four of them. Treasure Island is the most famous of those, uh, but there was also The Sword and the Rose and Robin Hood and His Merry Men. Uh, we'll get to all of those eventually, but uh, this is this is the this one's a little different. Uh, Rob Roy, the Highland Rogue. Yes. As are, as are the other two, Sword in the Rose and, and Robin Hood as Merry Men. Uh, all of the, those three films are sort of almost like a, I don't know if you'd call them the Richard Todd epic. <laughs> They're all him. Yeah, he's the main character in all three films. Well, that's not true. Uh, Richard te Todd being the actor. Te technically, Sword in the Rose is about Queen Mary, right? True, true. So he's, the main, main, he's the lead male character, I should yes, say. Yes, that's true. But Glennis John, who's also in this movie, is also in Sword in the Rose, so, you know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, she is. And eventually in? Uh, I don't know. Mary Poppins? She's oh, Mrs. Mary Bates. Poppins. Oh, you're right. Oh, wow. She's very young here. It's hard for me to tell. But you're right. Now I see yes. the eyes. The eyes. Oh, yeah. No, she is. She is Mrs. Banks. And uh, which which led my wife to cheer. You tell him, Sister Suffragette, during one scene in this movie that I will uh, relay when we get to that. <laughs> I'm now looking forward to it. So this is the story of Rob Roy McGregor, who is a Scot Scotsman who ended up doing lots of different things, but is probably most famous from Sir Walter Scott writing a novel about him of the same title as the movie. Knowing Todd as I do, I know he probably has the complete history of Rob McGregor at his fingertips. Oh, yeah. It, well, it, it's not that difficult. It's, it's, I was going to actually inject it inside the movie and stuff like that. But basically, um, this is a very famous guy. Actually, it turns out his father is kind of sort of part of the reason why he's famous, right? Yeah. Because, right. because in the movie here, they actually transpose some of the events that happened to his father onto him. Like for example, getting captured and putting in put in well attempted to be put in prison and stuff like that. Yeah. His father actually ended up in prison because in real life his mother dies. In the movie, obviously it's the other way around. Right. Uh, things like that. Also, um, the he did, he was not um, in modern times. He's famous because of the um, Walter Scott, Sir Walter Scott, right? Yes. Novel there, right? Uh, but um, the book that they show in London. The Daniel Defoe book is actually the one that this is this movie was based off of, and that's why they show it inside the movie. Yep, that's a very good point. Yeah, the, the and it came and it's it's true they show it inside the movie that a book came out in London and we'll get to the whole point uh, of that that fictionalized hit the account of what he had been doing in Scotland and that actually made him uh, famous in Scotland and led to him being pardoned. And so, so all of that that happens in the movie that seems completely unrealistic is true. It all happened. 
Uh, and it's it's kind of one of those crazy things that just you, you read about and you don't think it's actually true, but it's con- it's completely the way it happened. Yeah, uh, and give or give or take. I mean, in, in real life, he was after um, his father was captured, and um, he basically, like you said, was pardoned. And it was the Duke of Argyle really did you know plead with the king to pardon him. So all that, like you said, is true. Um, but then after that, he just went became a cattle herder. Yeah. Okay. Because he was he was pardoned for the war. That whole concept of the amnesty that we'll get to—that's yes. what he was actually pardoned for. And then he became a cattle herder in real life. And then, when he lost the farm, literally, um, he uh, defaulted on his loan, and that's and then the Duke of Montrose had his house burned down, and he was branded an outlaw for defaulting on his loan, actually. And so he said, "Well, fine." That's it, and then that's when he started all that fighting back stuff that he's famous for. Yes, which is not nearly as, as interesting as somebody oppressing him and trying to steal his land. Yes, and his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did want to mention they came out with like a four-color car- page cartoon book of this. Yeah, a regular, yeah a regular comic book. They, they actually did Dell Comics issue number 544. Which was really common at the time, by the way. If you if you've ever seen some of the the Dell comics, Dell made a ton of stuff uh, of all the Disney movies. I mean, you'll you, you'll see this movie, uh, all the animated films, Zorro, you know, all that kind of stuff. The Dell comics did did you know adaptations of of all that stuff, and, and that stuff's really hard to find. And, and it's fun to if you ever find them at like flea markets or stuff like that, um, pick it up because they're they're good stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what I wanted to say is um, the the movies, right? So, what's considered like? Remember, we we're talking about how this is the Richard Todd trilogy. Um, the, this movie was not nearly as successful as the first two were. Yeah, and and that's all relative, we should say. <laughs> well, None of that, them are hugely successful. That, that's true, but by comparison, it it wasn't. I mean, because Robin Hood actually did pretty well, and it's the whole reason why these second two were made. Right. Good point. And but what happened is this: the guy who did the first two is Ken Anakin, and because of a dispute he had, he wasn't able to do this one. So they got this guy Harold French, who, well, guess what? Never worked for Disney again. Yes, although he was quite the prolific filmmaker. If you look at his uh, his resume, he he made lots of movies. Um, none that any of you would know. No, but I mean, Anakin went on to make Third Man in the Mountain and Swiss Family Robinson. So. Which so I'm he, assuming most of us would know. Yes. At least the second one. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> well, and, and Third, Man, Third Man on the Mountain is mostly known for trivia because it was making that movie that inspired Walt Disney to uh, build the Matterhorn in Disneyland. Oh. So there you go. I don't mean to give away what I thought about this film, but can I just say that my favorite part was the opening sequence when it said The Wonderful World of Disney? And presented that it was in Technicolor, and it showed Disneyland and everything. And that was so exciting. Yeah, I, yeah. The the um, the version that I found for you to watch was um, had the Disneyland thing in front of it because it was a TV version. The yeah, that's version. the only. <laughs> it's the only one that you can find. Pretty much, um, like I, I managed to find it. It's on Amazon Instant Video, by the way, and that's one of the reasons why we we try to make sure that all these things are available for you guys to, to, to go and watch. But like the version that, that was released and is out there was one that the one that ran on the wonderful world of Disney. 
because this ran as a two-part episode on the wonderful world of Disney. Um, and I'm imagining didn't get great ratings. Because um, if you talk, I've talked to ton, literally tons of Disney fans because it's what we do. And I don't, I don't think any of us have ever talked about Rob Roy, the Highland Rogue. Now, I've heard about it before, but I've never seen it before this time. Not that I remember. Never heard of yeah. it. <laughs> no, but I saw this on the list. I said, wow, I've never heard of this. Let's do it as a podcast. You know, that's yep. there, what there, it became to be. There's one scene in the middle of it, which when we get to, but um, reminds me of Darby O'Gill. But I know that I'm thinking of Darby O'Gill and not this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say, I mean, it, it's it's a challenge to get through for sure. I mean, it's it's a tough it's a tough movie. Um, it's not it's not one that I would say they gave a lot of thought to script. Um, if you look at the films that they made, you know, Robin Hood, this and Sword in the Rose, they were basically trying to make. Uh, one of Bree's favorite films, which is the Errol Flynn Robin Hood, right? I mean, that's what they were trying to do. Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, To to varying degrees of success. So I do have another question since we're talking about this, Um, and I'll put this question in here because I have no idea where else to put it. Do we think Pixar and Brave was um, impacted by this film? Do you think they had to watch this film? Because I didn't notice that like one of the one of the one of the people in this film was named Macintosh. I think that might be right. I mean, personally, I felt like Glennis Johns had a lot of Merida in her, or maybe Merida had a lot of Glennis Johns in her. I guess you could say. Um, yeah, I definitely saw a resemblance. I don't know about you guys. Well, also uh, some of the regions that this movie is shot in are places that they went to to research Brave. So, yeah. yeah. I would, knowing the fact that most of those Pixar guys are big, as big a Disney nerds as we are, I'd be shocked if a lot of them didn't watch it. Yeah. If nothing else, there, you know, there might be a Rob Roy Easter egg in Brave. <laughs> oh, maybe. I'm just saying. I mean, it's definitely possible. Now, um, you know, Disney did have high hopes for this movie. Did you? Yeah, I mean, like, they, they positioned it as, like, this big, frolicking action-adventure movie. I mean, like, if you look at the poster that they did, it's like, they, they've got, you know, Richard Todd romancing Glennis Johns and, like, wars and uh, the tagline, which cracks me up, because I will give it away now, is so not true. Uh, the tagline says, every minute flames with furious action. <laughs> it's very unfortunate. I I would use that to to describe Zorro, maybe. Yeah, no, this is this is not that. This is to me to me, and I don't know if you guys agree. Like this is much more like a political intrigue story than it is an action adventure story. I yeah. do think it's more historical. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are bits of it that are... I mean, it, it, it's definitely historical, but it's idealized to a great extent. But so was the Defoe book that it's based off of, so that's right. not a surprise. Um, did you know that, that when this premiered in the UK, it was uh, done for the Royal Command performance? It was picked explicitly for this show, and the Queen Elizabeth uh, attended? Oh, my. How did that go? I really don't know. I just that was that was the only showing of it in 1953. That's why it has a 1953 date on it. Though most people put a 1954 date on it. 
Yeah, because it premiered in the UK in, in 53 and then in the States in 54. Right. Now, in 54, it premiered in New York City at the Citrion. Oh, okay. cool. Yes, and uh, do you know what was shown before it? Fantasia. I don't know. No, uh, the, um, the short that was shown before it was the Pecos Bill part of Mel- Melody Time. Oh, Pecos Bill. That. I, I don't know that you could get two things that were more different. <laughs> I just, it's funny. That's crazy. That is funny. Yeah, I mean, it's so cool, though. I have to say, like, even though I think you can, you can all probably hear in our voices we weren't huge fans of the movie, um, it's so cool, though, to find these little hidden things in Disney history, in Disney film history especially. Like, like how many people think or know of Richard Todd? Right, because it's not like he had a huge film career outside of this movie. I mean, or the three movies that he did for Disney. He did a few others, but for the most part, he did some British films and he did you know minor points in in other films. But I mean, this these three films were his big things, um, except for he was in he was in a few other films. But I mean, like most people don't, you know, don't know him. Um, even though he, he got nominated for an Oscar for, for this film, uh, The Hasty Heart, right, which was also filmed in Britain. But, I mean, like, people don't know who this guy is, but yet he's appeared, he appeared in these three, you know, fairly at the time, big Disney films that are now just, like, like we said, most people don't know what these films are or anything about them. It's, just, it's so interesting to me that that's part of the fun of doing this is finding those, those lost films. I was wondering if he invented the spray on tan. It sure looks like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I will. I, it's interesting. It's it's definitely interesting. They they chose some very interesting effects, not only um, special effects but effects of the people in the film. Yeah, he could definitely pass for something in a wax museum. <laughs> he's yeah. so ch- he's so chiseled for. For yeah, and, yes, he is. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, it's like, wow, he's a real person, and you wouldn't believe it. So I get the wax museum comment for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he's not one of the um, the emoting acting style. I would say. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no. it, this movie is a last. It is the last. What. It is the last uh, movie distributed under the RKO Pictures label. Ah, oh, very good. Very good. Yes, before Disney uh, started their own. Yes. Buena well, Vista they, it, Buena Vista had already been started, but this one was already un- under contract with RKO for distribution, so Disney didn't break that. Smart. I do have also another factoid on this film. Ooh. Yes. Factoid. That um, Richard Todd put in his. Uh, this is from. Wikipedia, so I'm quoting sources. Um, Point is autobiography that the extras were um, soldiers of the from the Korean War. Yes, they were. Uh, the it, it says so in the beginning of the movie, um, which is good because we can start talking about the movie. That's a great segue, Cheryl. Thank you. Indeed, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah the the opening of the movie uh, is a is it a thank you to the uh, officers of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders? Okay. And the Forestry Commissioner for Scotland, but the Argyll and Sutherland Highlanders are the ones that specifically had just returned from the Korean War, 
uh, and they're a, they're a regiment of the British Army at the time. They don't exist anymore because I guess they were all folded in or something like that. I don't completely understand. There's you know UK four countries as one. I don't you know. It's a different thing. Yeah. Yes, very different thing. Um, now it's significant to mention because one of the main characters is the Duke of Argyle. So yes. Yeah, so to, to give a little bit of the backdrop, they open the film with um, a, a text piece, like very much like Star Wars. There's our Star Wars connection, right? Does that work? Uh, yep. I was going really, to really go good. with the guy who was named Anakin and then go with that one. The guy named Anakin. <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't direct this one, so... I know, know, but how do you direct this one? <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty well respected that had he directed this one, it might have been a better liked movie, so... Yeah. So it, it, it's interesting that – so the film opens with this text piece um, and says, you know, during the 18th century, the German uh, – the English chose the king, George I, who was actually German, uh, and the Scottish fought against this. They rebelled against it and wanted to enthrone James Stewart instead. And so the, the text tells us that there was a huge rebellion in Scotland, and most of the clans lost, but a few of them – Notably, the McGregor clan um, continued to revolt, and so the the film opens with exactly that: the McGregor clan taking on the British armies uh, in, and the Duke of Argyle. The Duke of Argyle is leading the armies against the McGregor clan, and it's Rob Roy McGregor, who again we don't bother to introduce, as you said, Todd. <laughs> uh, he is leading the charge, uh, a rather unsneaky charge. Against the Duke of Argyle and his forces. Yeah. Uh, did, you know, so this charge, did, did you know that Richard taught us, tore a ligament in his foot, tripping in a rabbit hole, and was out for a week and held up filming as a result I, of I, this scene? This. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a great start, I'm thinking. No, but you know, can I, can I say, like, we're, we've made a lot of fun of this movie, and this is like, we've been talking about it for three seconds, but honestly, I was very excited about this movie at this point, because I saw guys with guns and swords, and I was like, this could be good. Oh, yeah, they set you up for something that they're trying to say is great. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's, it's supposed to take on the tone of, like, those big, they don't make these kinds of movies anymore, because the movies that we make now are much more special effects driven, and like, like Avengers, and that's not a good or, that's not saying it in a good or a bad thing, but the, at the time... These kinds of movies were made all the time with these big action-adventure historical pieces, right? And that's what they set you up for because it's this big battle of the British Army with their muskets and rifles and shooting at these guys, charging them with swords and shields, which immediately is off-putting. But it's cool, <laughs> right? Like it's just cool. Yeah, there's right. There's cannon and they're shooting – and lots of people are dying like right away in the movie. It's like – yeah, like, this is probably the biggest body count any Disney film I can remember. Exactly. I was going to say, it's like quite an epic battle for a well, Disney film. It's crazy. Except for, except for Mulan. The true. That's <laughs> not non-animated. Very That's true, non-animated. I'll give that. I was going to say, like, a dude gets run through right in the middle of the camera shot. No, I like, know. No joke. Get... Like, guy just takes his sword and runs the guy through. And then yep. there's like, they literally like, you know, in a typical like, almost like a, you know, a Civil War movie is where you see this a lot, where the guy, where the whole regiment of guys just goes flying after a cannonball hits them. That happens a lot in this opening yes. sequence as well. Um, now, I, I wanted to say that um, 
what you're seeing is, like you said, we're seeing the British forces uh, wage war against uh, the Scots, like you said. And the interesting thing here is a lot of Americans probably think of British soldiers as only wearing red because of the redcoats and the Revolutionary War. And it's important to note that at this point in time that they still wore multiple colors, and they still do in some cases, but you, they, the colors stood for their purpose on the battlefield um, – so you know you, you had uh, green and yellow and white in addition to red, and you also had some blues, right? So that's and the blues are the royal regiment, and I think there's a royal regiment running around in here, mm-hmm. if you pay close attention. So yeah, that is you're right. There is a blue regiment in there, and uh, as usual, like you said, this is one of the this is one of the things that Disney did during this time in live action films is they just kind of throw stuff out there and they don't introduce characters. Like they and they did it in their shorts too. Like they would just throw characters out there and not give them a name and and stuff like that. It's just it's bizarre to me. It's I shouldn't say it's bizarre. It's what they did at that time uh, in movie making. Like now we feel like we have to give exposition for every character that walks into a scene in a lot of films. Like you notice how and now I'll go back to Avengers because it's probably like the most successful adventure action film of all time. Uh, you know, like each character got their own little set piece and introduction, and like the, the, there's no introduction and no no narrative to to Rob McGregor from the very beginning of this film. Yeah, I wanted to move on regarding actors because we do have a Batman reference. Batman. Yes, we have Alfred. <laughs> oh, that's right, the guy who plays Alfred in the um... played. Played, played, played Alfred. Passed that's right. Away. He passed away, but he was in the um, the more recent movies. He uh, he's um, which guy is he? We figured it out, and Did, I can't remember now. Michael Keaton? No, not Michael Keaton. Duke the of one Montrose. before him, the one who played in the Michael Keaton movies. Nineteen. He played nineteen. He played Alfred in nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety two, and nineteen ninety five. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. There you go. But so the, the the plot of this really gets kicked into gear because Rob McGregor gets captured during this battle. And it's the Duke, the Duke of Argyle is leading the soldiers, like you mentioned, but he is himself is a Scotsman. And he refuses to send the German mercenaries against the, the McGregors to sla- basically slaughter them because the battle's won at that point. And so he gets into trouble with, you know, the, the Duke of Montrose who's there and or, – or, the Duke of Montrose's person who's there, I should say. Uh, and it said, you know, hey, you're going to get in trouble with the court, you know, back in, in London for this. But, you know, it's OK. They, they managed to take Rob McGregor hostage and take him to Castle Stirling or Stirling Castle, I should say, which is the where the king sort of the king's outpost in Scotland. Right. It's the king's fort in Scotland. And so the men return to their village where Rob's mother, Lady Glengill, is waiting and she's waiting and waiting and waiting, and Rob doesn't show up. So rather than do anything, she basically forces the men to take her to the castle to confront Argyle about, about Rob being seized, to say, you know, forget this. Give me my son back. Like, she doesn't care about the laws of war. She doesn't care about the fact that he attacked them, which he did. He attacked first. Any of that, just give me my son back. Right, but then we find out they're cousins, so... Yes, because she was a Campbell, and Argyle is of the Campbell clan. Uh, and it's at... While he, she is trying to do this, the Duke of Montrose comes and says that, you know, look, you're, 
being too nice to the McGregors. You didn't kill them. Uh, and this is going to endanger your position as the Secretary of Scotland, which is basically, you know, he's basically the governor of Scotland at this point, as far as the king's concerned. Mm-hmm. And Lady Glengill, Rob's mother, suggests that to Argyle, because she knows he's, you know, somewhat on her side, that, you know, you should send Rob to stand trial in London under the care of the Duke of Montrose. And at first, you know, the Duke doesn't really understand what she's saying, and he says, you know, hey, you never know, there are bandits on this road. Well, then first she has to promise that none of the, none of the guys accompanying him will get hurt. That's part of the other, other part of this deal. Well, what does she say? She says something like, like, the McGregors will not touch a hair on his head. Or something like that. Yeah, I can't remember so the exact... I, I, yeah, so I think, I, I think one of them was, was concerned. This is the gist I was getting. Yeah. Um, one of them was concerned about safety. Because, you know, they're obviously traveling, you know, they're not. They're not wanted there. I, I think the point was is that if you're if you're trying to hope for peace, you don't want to kill like an important yes. person of the king, kind of thing. Which is an ongoing theme of this movie. Indeed. Yes. Which which I'd have to say complicates things when you're trying to do an action adventure film. Uh, honestly, that's the biggest complaint that I read online everywhere in this film. Even the 1954 New York Times review that I went and read, yeah, okay, says that this that this plot is is overly complex for no reason. I have a bigger <laughs> complaint, but we'll get there. Yeah, but I mean, like the whole movie is basically Argyle and his mother, and eventually Glennis John's character telling Rob. Stop attacking the British. Which, yeah. again, difficult when you're trying to have a film uh, that shows adventure with the main character attacking the British. Argyle reminds me of The Watcher. Yes, from Marvel Comics. Yes, yeah. I would agree. Because he, he, he's, got, he's got his, you know, Argyle tartan on there, right? And he's... Yes. But... but uh, it's not just that, though. I'm making a joke because people who know who the Watcher is know that he wears basically a tartan also, but not like an all-white thing. But it's like he wears it the same way, drips the same way. But because he keeps appearing everywhere. He does. It's very true. <laughs> it's yeah, just like, even, oh, Even when she's next, yeah, he does. He does, keep, he does keep appearing. He just comes and goes as he pleases. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so, of course, the plan works, right? They send Rob to stand trial in London. Montrose is there. The the McGregors manage to free him. The Klansmen, you know, kind of humiliate the Lord because they, they drag him out of the coach and knock his wig askew, which, I mean... <laughs> and, and pinch his nose. That's important because it comes up like five times later in the movie. It's, yeah. it's in German, no less. <laughs> And no, I'm not making that up. It comes up later in German. Yeah, they tweak his nose and they knock his wig askew, which means that from that point forward, the Duke of Montrose is completely, you know, and utterly obsessed with killing Rob McGregor. Which is also important because it basically drives the rest of the movie. Uh, And then after this, you know, thrilling adventure, this huge battle, and then this escape from the coach... 
and this family appeal of the Campbells. You know, you have some real drama going on here, right? What we think is the best thing to do is basically take the next 15 minutes of the movie and shift it over to a Sandra Bullock romantic comedy. <laughs> Not even! There was no... Wait, there was no... That's the, this is my complaint. And Bree better back me up. There was no romance there. There, absolutely true. Yeah. There was there nothing. Romance. They could have tried a little bit of an Errol Flynn, um, you know, Olivia De Havilland channeling there, but they did not. They didn't even attempt. <laughs> yeah, I. But I'm they. Getting, I'm getting upset now. I have to stop. But they were making haggis together. They were making haggis, which is not romantic. <laughs> and I'm really glad that they did not pull out the bladders and start stuffing them, because that would have been, you know... <laughs> that would have um, turned my stomach, yes. So here's an interesting thing. Um, if you look at pictures of their actual graves, which actually you can actually visit their graves if you ever go to Scotland, by the way. Rob, Rob Roy McGregor, his mother, Lady Margaret, and Helen Mary. And Mary, okay. as they keep saying in the, in the movie. Mary. Right. Here's the important thing, though, is that on her grave, it says Helen Mary, where Helen's in parentheses in front, but um, her name is actually Mary Helen. Just he called her Helen. That's why it took precedence in real life. He always referred to her as Helen. So I thought – and how I found this out was I actually looked them up in the the Scottish um, genealogy database because it's actually one of the best-kept databases in the world for genealogy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. I did not know this. Yeah. So I actually have I'll, – I'll include in the show notes a link to her, and then you can see everybody else involved as well and see how they're oh, all related. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, I mean like it literally – like he comes home, and his mother basically suggests, you know, hey, you should get married. And so he's like, okay. And goes to the pub, or the inn, rather, and there's where Glynis Johns' character, Helen Mary, Helen Mary McPherson at this point, Mm -hmm. is sitting there with her father, who's telling stories about his war time efforts, and Rob walks in, and basically we have this awkward dance between the two of them as Rob tries to propose. Uh, Helen Mary's father keeps blowing his musical instrument for no good reason whatsoever. Like, he's trying to propose in the kitchen while they're making haggis, while her parents are sitting there in the kitchen doing other things. And it's awkward and uncomfortable, but I do have to say, it was really funny. It, it was, was funny. Very funny. Especially it when just, he brought the bagpipes in. Yes, when he starts playing the bagpipes to interrupt them, I kind of burst out laughing. I did too. <laughs> I think he figured that he would have asked her already at that point. I think that's why he was walking in playing the bagpipes. I I don't know. So basically, you know, they they go through this like awkward dance, and like like we said, it's really funny and it's cute and it's fun. It totally doesn't belong in this movie. It, it, it is about fifteen to twenty minutes of this movie between that and the wedding. But it's glad yeah. I'm kind of glad for it because I was sick and tired of the war stuff to be honest I think there was too much of it so I was glad to have this for a little bit even if it was cheesy, awkward, awful whatever you want to say I'm glad it was there because that war stuff was was way too long in the beginning and getting to this part was also way too long 
Well, and I, I wouldn't have a problem with, I mean, like, it, it, it is an adventure war movie. So, you know, it has to have that kind of stuff in it. And I wouldn't have a problem with it if, like you guys said, they had developed the romance ahead of time or something. But it's basically like, hey, it's time for you to get married. All right, where's Helen Mary? Oh, there she is. All right, you want to marry me? Sure. Wedding. It, it, it's about 20 <laughs> minutes too long is the whole problem with the movie. It really could have just been like an hour-long thing and been done. Or, like, actually do something with, you know, the two of them, with him and Helen Mary, and, like, like basically they replay the same thing over and over and over again in the movie, with the exception of this. Like, it's basically Rob gets captured, Rob escapes, they threaten Rob, they tell him not to fight, he fights. Like, that happens, what, four times? <laughs> the whole, whole movie, over and over again, I agree. Yeah. The whole movie is like a 15, it's like, there's this 20-minute segment of him, this comedy piece of the two of them trying to, you know, come to terms on getting married, and then the wedding, which, is, which is like 10 minutes of just them singing and dancing and running around and all this kind of stuff, and it's somewhat entertaining, but not not anything essential. And then there's these 15-minute blocks of Rob gets captured, Rob fights, Rob, is, or, Rob fights, Rob gets captured, Rob escapes, they tell Rob not to fight, Rob fights anyway, Wash, rinse, repeat. Yes, until finally he comes to his senses. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know what made me laugh a little bit here is that um, – so there's this whole thing where they get married, right? And he has – and he toasts her, right? And he says that like he would, he would die for her you know, and that whole thing. And then he goes and he takes his dagger and he goes to stab it in the table and he like fails. And it's like – but they kept it on film. Yes, yes, that was funny. Because <laughs> you see, they're holding it so it doesn't fall over until he, until it pans off him, and then it's like not there anymore, ever. <laughs> yes. Oh, Rob Roy, the Highland Rogue. What a crazy guy. So no, it, it, the wedding though gets interrupted, and like we, it, it's really abrupt. Like we get dragged back into the war piece, like like Cheryl was saying, um, as. Montrose uh, comes through and and says that, or Montrose's henchman, I should say, uh, comes through and says that you know Montrose is now the Secretary of State for Scotland, and says that the clans have been granted amnesty, right? All the clans that have been fighting against the king have been granted amnesty, except for the clan McGregor, and there is no longer anyone named McGregor in Scotland. Now, how you can declare that, I don't know. It's a king, dude. Yeah, I guess a king can do anything he wants. I guess you're right. Yeah. But so he says you'll be all the McGregors will still be pardoned, but they're stripped of their name. They can't be called McGregors except for Rob. Rob has to be arrested and taken back to um, to the king to stand trial, right? So and Rob gets captured, and he tells his men to go back to the punch bowl, and they start escorting him back to Sterling Castle. And guess what? Rob escapes again. And and it's funny because at this point the guards start making jokes about the punch bowl, which we'll get to where what the punch bowl actually is soon. But I do think that's funny that the guards have started making these jokes to Rob. Oh, you're, you just told your guys to keep drinking there, Rob. That was such a good idea. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, they like tie his hands behind his back with this like stick. Rob like flexes his arm, breaks the stick you know, dives into a river, swims over a waterfall in, like, the worst special effect you will ever see. (laughs) 
I was going to say, anyone can break a stick by flexing their arm. I can do that. I do that every day. Totally. Yep. Dude, but like Richard Todd. Come the on. The waterfall. The waterfall, though, like, literally, they take the waterfall and they drew him falling <laughs> over. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it looks better in the comic book. I, read, sure it does. I, read, I read the comic book online. It looks better. I'm sure it does. Oh, my goodness. It's too good. Oh, you yeah. know what we forgot to mention is we forgot to mention that at this point in the movie, we also learned that the Duke of Argyle has been supplanted and Montrose is now the king's. Yes, we discussed that. Guy. Yeah, okay. I said that. Okay, I missed all that. Yeah, Never it's mind. okay. It, you, you, were that sleeping. That. You, you, you were sleeping. You were sleeping. It's okay. What? Oh, am I awake? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So Rob in this horrible special effect gets over the waterfall and we find out that the punch bowl is like this little hidden cave where all the clansmen have been hiding, waiting for him. Uh, so he goes and he meets them and they're ready to go and basically kill everyone from the Duke of Montrose. And Rob, like the, for the first time, Rob says, you know, like, calm down. It's OK. You know, let's let's wait and let's see what we can do. And Rob sneaks back into the village to see Helen Mary and see, you know, see his his new wife. Meanwhile, the henchmen come back to the house to see if if he has come back, which seems like a bad idea. Uh, And they say, you know, hey, we are going to, you know, we're going to search the house and they see him escape. And that's when his mother starts getting into deep, deep trouble Uh, because what happens is then they they say that okay well everybody uh in in the area is now going to be taxed and attacked and all this sort of thing you know what though yeah i I was thinking that you know how cheryl made the batman connection earlier if you think about it this part of the plot has that same plot type as um the batman television show you know, you, okay. see, uh, you know the the villain always returns to the scene of the crime. In this case, the villain is supposed to be Rob Roy. You know that whole thing. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, he is sort of at this point becoming a legend, right? Like he's like, I mean, he's escaped twice, and now like they can't find him. They don't know where he is, so they're just trying to smoke him out by basically they're they're making everybody pay higher and higher taxes. Like, they make a point of saying, like, here's your rent that you pay to the king, and then here's the taxes, and the taxes are going to double and double again and double again and double again until you can't hide Rob McGregor anymore. You're going to have to give him up. Someone's, uh, someone's going to give him up. That's what, they, that's what they implied. Yeah. That's what they implied is someone was going to give him up. Yeah. I don't think, Which, those people, I don't think they knew very well. They, they didn't know the McGregors very well because Rob's there in disguise. And takes the money back, you know, kicks the soldiers out and says that, you know, hey, as if I will let you have your, your tax that you're, you're owed, your rent for the land, but you can't have this extra stuff. If you will stop doing that, I'll stop attacking you. Everybody goes away happy. But, of course, the Duke of Montrose is not going to do that. So They plan to you know, capture mom. Yeah, the new, the new plan is... They're going to get mom and put her in the fort, and they're going to, you know, basically t- not torture her, but just keep her there until Rob comes to try and rescue her or something. Basically use her as a bargaining chip. Yeah. This this doesn't work, because they attack the house, and they end up shooting her, which would seem to put a... 
and approved that fire. plan. Yeah, set the house on fire, and they see. You know, Rob is basically cornered until the clansmen come to his rescue, and they lead this attack against the fort. Uh, and, but the the men, the the British, basically retreat into the fort, uh, and you know Rob manages to say he tells them like I've got to go attend to my mom. You keep them in there, like basically siege the fort, and so that's the way things stand. So we take another break from the act, from the war action for Rob's mother's funeral because she got shot during during the war. But before she dies, she tells Helen Mary like Hey, you've got to get him to quit this fighting. Good luck yeah. with that. Now, you know how we were talking about um, the Robin Hood, the whole Robin Hood thing that Disney was trying to play off of in these movies? Right. Is th- this scene where he's fighting them off in his mom's house is like completely ripping, trying to rip off that, you know, the staircase scene with Errol Flynn fighting the sword up, down the staircase and that whole thing? Yep. They're yeah. definitely trying to play off of that in this scene. There's no question. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's like they use a staircase, they use sword fighting, they use you know, it's totally that. Yeah. I can imagine Bree, you were cringing watching this because oh. I know that's your favorite movie. I wanted so badly for for Basil Rathbone to come out and save the day. Because yeah, yeah, it is. It's one of my favorite movies. So this was just it was painful to watch. Yep. Uh, no, I mean, like and the thing is, like it's not like they do it poorly. You know what I mean? Like, at least not to me. I thought they do it okay, but it's you can instantly recognize that it's been done better elsewhere. Right. And they don't even really commit to it. It's not like an epic battle scene. It's what a minute or two. Right. Yeah, it's barely there. Yeah. So they, they, we take another break and we do the we do the funeral. So Argyle comes to the funeral. Lord Argyle comes to the funeral to pay his respects, since, as you mentioned, this is his cousin that has died. And then Montrose sends his men to attack the funeral to to get Rob, which is just completely sends Argyle into a fuss. And he reveals all of his men are there and chases Montrose away. But Argyle is basically pleading with Rob, like, look – Go to the king, seek amnesty, don't attack the castle, because they've still got the British trapped in the castle. They said, don't do this. And he says, you know, okay, we won't, you know, I don't, I want to attack the castle, but Helen Mary reveals, you know, that his mom's last words were to stop fighting. He says, okay, fine, we'll do it. And then, like, for no reason whatsoever, he goes to the castle, puts up a flag of white, you know, of surrender to, to talk terms, and the henchman guy comes out and shoots him. Did anyone understand that? No. Nope. Not one bit. Okay. Yeah. Because, like, the whole time, like I said, they've been urging Rob, stop fighting, like, let's figure out a solution to this, and he does that, and they shoot him. And he's like, forget this, wartime. But then we don't even really see a war from that point forward. No, they just kind of surround the place and just sit there for the rest of the movie, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Yeah, because, like, at that point, he says, all right, 
wartime, and we flash over to London, and we see the book that this is based on, the Defoe book, being printed, and people are buying it, and the Countess, who is, I guess, a consort of the king? I don't know. Like, they don't really explain the relationship there. She buys one and reads it to the king. While all the dukes and the lords and everybody are in the other room, including the Duke of Montrose, saying, oh, we should send, you know, troops and get them out and get rid of them and all these sorts of things, right? Whereas the king's over there and say, he's saying, oh, I like this Rob Roy. He's very funny. And he's doing it in a German accent, which I'm not going to do. But if you want to talk about, like, a, a part of the movie where you're going, what in the world is going on here? You have the German King of England, which I understand it was true. It actually happened. Yeah. But just hearing the King of England basically being portrayed as a fool and a German, like, that threw me. Well, was he, was he really – see, here's the thing. Like, I, I paused the movie here to point out to Charles that he was supposed to be German, and he, it wasn't that he couldn't read. It was that he was German trying to read English, and it wasn't it, – he was still learning. Yeah, but he's being portrayed – it wasn't the fact that he's being read to that, that I thought was, was the bad part. It's like he's being portrayed as though he's just a figurehead, which I'm sure he probably he might have been. But it's like – it's just bizarre. You know what I mean? Like it's just this weird – it's this weird left turn in the movie for no reason. Like Rob Roy just declared war on the, on the king. So let's go see the horrible king and ignore Rob for – the next 10 minutes or so. <laughs> true, true. I, I, it wasn't, but, okay, so I guess maybe I just don't have a real problem with the king being portrayed. I, I wasn't under the impression he was being portrayed as a fool, I guess. That's why I had you look up Squanto, because I thought he was portrayed the same way the king was being portrayed in Squanto. Yes, although not the same time period. Agreed. But he yes. was being, but he was being portrayed like a fool, because the king and Squanto only cared about about Squanto and having this little show, his little show. This king Rob Roy was was like the Robin Hood for the people. Yeah, they were enjoying his. They were enjoying his antics. That he was directly responsible for. No, his people were. I don't think he knew what was going on. He's the one that issued the order striking <laughs> striking down their name. He's directly responsible for everything. I think the everything. Duke ordered it and didn't tell him. No, yeah, I'm, I'm with Cheryl on this. I think Walpole, the, the, the guy who's in char- that we see in the other room in charge of the court, I think he's the one who who is in charge here and saying all this stuff, you know – take their name and do all these other things that the Duke of Montrose is convincing them to do. That's what I think is going on in this scene. It's like they're trying to basically show that the king's not really in charge. It's these dukes and lords who are actually doing all this stuff to the to the Scottish. Oh, I, see, I took it at face value that when they said it was a proclamation from the king, that it was really was a proclamation from the king. So, I didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think, I think it's the... I think the whole point is like the dukes and the lords and those guys because they mentioned Walpole at the very beginning and then this is the first time we actually see him like leading this I don't know what you'd call it like you know conference call of the dukes and lords. Yeah, it's like pre-parliament parliament, I guess. Yeah. 
and it's it's just weird to to just just completely scene shift in a way that doesn't you know it doesn't really do a whole lot for the film. Uh, it does it does get us to something good though. Like Argyle comes up and um, you know says to the king, you know, if you will let me bring Rob here to to plead his case to you. Um, you know, if if he'll come here and and show you that he's not a dangerous person, then you know he'll give you his castle back. Will you grant him amnesty? And the king says, you know, hey, if you can get Rob Roy here, you know, I'll definitely be interested because he's just enamored <laughs> with the guy from the book. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, in the other room, <laughs> Montrose asked for six thousand more troops. Yes. He already had 4,000-plus troops. And there was like 12 McGregors. That's right. I, how <laughs> many people does he need to fight? I don't understand this. They were all stuck in the castle. They all got themselves stuck they were in not, the castle. That was a pretty sardine can castle. I don't know that, there's, that they fit 4,000 people in there. It must have been standing room only. <laughs> to be fair, the Duke of Montrose is not exactly a military genius. No. Just throw more power at it is was his whole plan near as I could tell yeah well he even quotes that to the other guy in the room like he's like they they asked this exact same question like how many people do you need and he says well to quote you know your lordship's own blah 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 strategy from the battle of you know stuck um you know <laughs> you need overwhelming force to take on this enemy so and so and so and so which is just bizarre so, but Argyle, okay, the point is of this whole scene is that Argyle manages to convince the king, you know, okay, if I get Rob here and he says this and, you know, he does this, you'll pardon him. And he's like, oh, bring Rob Roy here, of course. So while Argyle is traveling back to Scotland, instead of Rob, you know, laying down his arms, of course, he's just declared war. He takes over the castle, kills Montrose's henchmen, uh, and as Argyle walks into the castle just as, you know, Rob is marching everyone into the brig. He's like, okay, I just got you a pardon, dude. Like, what are you doing? You're killing me here. That's basically what that scene is. Yes. Which cracked me up. Because, like, did we really need both of those things to happen? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, did we need, like, him to go to the court and... Or could we have flipped it? You know what I mean? Like, have him... Because... We're not sticking to the historical text here, right? No. <laughs> not at all. Like have him attack the have him attack and take the fort and then negotiate the end. It was just so funny to see Argyle like really come on. <laughs> um but the men, of course, all around him is going, yeah, well, it doesn't matter if you got a pardon or not. We're going to fight everybody. And it's, it's Helen Mary who actually manages to change Rob's mind. She comes up and says, you know, hey, you guys can fight until you die and you'll burn and the fields will burn. And, you know, all that's going to be left is your women and your children to say how great you were. Uh, and if that's when Rob basically gets it through his thick skull. Like, OK, I don't know that we're actually really accomplishing anything here. Uh, and we see him march into England, and he, you know, says, you know, I apologize for Argyle, to Argyle, you know, I let him down, and, and, you know, King, you know, I will give you my sword, and you can do with me as you will, but please give us back our lands and our name. Uh, and the, the King is just really amused by this, and he reveals that he does speak English, and he actually knows what's going on. That's why I say, I, I felt like they were playing him for a fool before, because... 
then it, the reveal of the fact that he actually knows what's going on makes more sense at, at the end. Yeah. Yeah, and he calls Rob a great rogue and gives him his sword back, and uh, all the McGregors are... And then we flash over to the inn where they're all telling stories about uh, Rob and how he entered the court, and Helen Mary's like, that's great. Um, is he coming back? What's You know, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> Did you catch that the sword was like bending like it was like obviously a fake sword uh yeah <laughs> like so many other things in this like um we didn't talk about it but when rob is fighting off some of the soldiers and he kicks a rock uh, like a boulder at them like it looks like a cut out piece of paper <laughs> rolling down the hill i forgot about the boulder yeah we we really talked we, we really kind of said that he escaped but we never talked about him climbing up the side of the mountain at that point which I have to say, like, it's really, the, the, well, I mean, to finish the movie, like, basically, Helen Mary's like, uh, is he coming back, or what's going on here? And they're like, oh, there's lots of, you know, gorgeous women at court. He might be, you know, enjoying the spoils of war, which, again, I didn't understand, because he didn't win. I think they were just trying to give her a hard time. Yeah, probably. Uh, so they ended up, but he, of course, comes back, and Helen Mary comes out and kisses him, and that's the end of the movie. Uh, but I have to say, what I was going to say is the the set pieces, like the places where they shot the film, they look fantastic. Like you were talking about, like he escapes and he climbs up the side of the mountain behind his house. Like that looks really cool. And then they throw this paper folder in it. Yeah, well, almost all of it is shot on location, you know, in Scotland. Yeah. Which, I mean, it looks great. It's just they needed a little better use of that. Let's say. And I, I, I shouldn't say – I shouldn't be so hard on it because I actually kind of liked it and I enjoyed watching it. Um, but, uh, I can tell a lot more than Cheryl and Bree uh, because I liked the war stuff and I thought that, you know, like any movie with sword fights automatically gets a, gets a point in my book. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, it's like there was a lot of potential there that they kind of left laying on the ground. Like even the scenes that we were, we were mocking, like, like the uh, – the the proposal scene and the stuff at court. Like, all that stuff's good. It's just, like, it doesn't really fit together. I guess that's my biggest complaint about the movie. It's, like, they just... They have a whole bunch of good pieces that don't really make anything together. Yeah, I mean, either it should have been a more fun movie or a more war movie. It was because the mix wasn't working. Yeah. It's true. My rating is a one. <laughs> That's your full stop. That's better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I I would I'd love to give it lower, but it did have some redeeming value. They did make a movie. It did make a movie. Um, it did have <laughs> plot. It did have motivation. It did have conflict. Um. There were, in fact, actors and actresses. Yes. So I mean. I don't know. I just didn't... I really felt like the, that beginning scene was way too long. They needed to shorten that up. They needed to add some romance in the beginning before that. Then have that little beginning scene. Then move along. I think that would have been okay. Um, I think it should have been more clear that the Dukes were... Duke, the Dukes were... Um, Commandeering the court, 
because even Todd didn't get that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, but I, but, and I, but I do think they, they, you know what, they tackled, I mean, the, they remade this movie and it still wasn't good. So, <laughs> that's what, that's, 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 so obviously it's, no matter which way you look at it, it's still not going to be good. To be clear, Disney didn't remake this movie. So. That's correct. Someone else did. Liam Neeson did. Let's be honest. It wouldn't have gotten made if he wasn't gonna if he wasn't interested. <laughs> That's probably true, considering he is in fact the Highland Rogue. So there you go. Yeah. All right, Bree, your thoughts. All right. Um, first of all, let me just reiterate that my favorite part of the film was the beginning sequence. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have no idea. I literally dropped my pen that I had in my hand because I was I I gasped really loudly. Um, my dog even looked in to see if I was okay. Anyway, um, yeah, I, it just it lacked so much. I mean, I think we said it all. It just it, it didn't have enough substance. Um, I'm going to give this a two, purely because um, there were some moments that made me laugh. Um, you know, I love Glennis John, so I guess those those two factors are really it. Oh, and that, that battle in the beginning, which I thought was kind of epic for a Disney movie. But, um, you know, I don't know. Everything just seemed too forced, like the accents, um, the acting. It just seemed, like, too forced and, and inaccurate. I don't know. Um, so I'm going to have to go with a two on this one. All right. Todd? Um, I am agreeing with Bree. It's a two. I mean, it's not, it's not terrible, terrible. I mean, there's terrible, terrible out there, and this is not it. Um, But it's not anything to, you know, rush out and see. Although there are people listening to this right now going, we're really sorry we rushed out and saw this. Sorry, Betsy. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Betsy. (laughs) Um, Truth be told, it's just – it's like – I agree with Bree. It's like I got very excited at the beginning when I saw like all this battle and this skirmish stuff going on and guys running around with swords, fighting guys with guns on horses and you know bayonets and cannons, and it looks cool. And then that was about the extent of it. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, I I I thought about giving this a three for about two minutes, and uh, I have to go with you guys and go with two. Um, although I, I it's it's on the high end of two for me because I actually kind of enjoy it. Um, the whole the chemistry between Richard Todd and Glennis Johns in that uh, scene in the kitchen alone is just that part is really really funny. It just like we said doesn't belong in this movie. Is it and, like a 2.7 or 2.3? Let's go with it. I'd go like a 2.7. Okay. I've got, I, I, I like it. I do. Um, I, I, and I will probably watch it again. Uh, but I, it, it's not something like I, w- I wouldn't rush out and buy it on DVD like I did when I first watched Darby O'Gill. You know what I mean? Uh, but it's, it's, I think there's enough good there that it's fun. it can be fun to watch, but it doesn't make a good movie. If that makes sense, like you could watch bits and pieces of it and go, "Oh, that was cool," and be happy. I can imagine people watching it on Wonderful World of Disney and going, "Oh, that was okay." Yeah. 
Because trust me, there was some bad stuff on Wonderful World of Disney. <laughs> All right, so uh, that will do it for this episode on Rob Roy, the Highland Rogue. Uh, would it, would any of us say tell people don't watch this? I would. Yeah, I Todd? guess I would. Um, no, I, I mean, look, if it's on, it's not. If you're on and complete and a completist, you probably want to see it. I think that's a good way to say it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's yeah. two bucks on Amazon. That's probably what's but worth. Yeah. Yeah. I would not I would pay more that. than two bucks to see this movie. Folks, don't do it. Yeah, it's also available in parts on YouTube if you just want to watch it that way. Which may be the may actually be the best way to watch it. In ten minutes, spurts. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it may be. But anyway, uh, so that'll do it for this week's show. If you watch this movie, please let us know because we would really, really love to hear from you. Um, you know what happens and what you thought of it. So uh, tweet us at Dis Film Project, or you can find us on Facebook, Disney Film Project, or of course you can always leave a note in the show notes on DisneyFilmProject.com. So please, please let us know um, if you if you watch the movie. We'd really love to hear from you. Um, we love to to take a look at these old films and, and hear what you guys think. So uh, until next week, folks. Um, please stay safe, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>